Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Why Not Us podcast. This is the college basketball edition. The season is finally upon us. I am your host, Adam Glick, joined by my co-host, as always, Josh Spape. Josh, before we get into this breakdown of this first show of the season, how excited are you that the best sport on earth is finally back? Oh, my goodness. I, <laughs> I It's unbelievable. Like I have been counting down the days, as have you, as has everybody else. It's a ridiculous time right around the corner. So many games on the first Tuesday. Great way to start off. And you know what? The original Why Not Us podcast back into action. Excited to be here. Yeah, cannot wait to get it going. So let's start it honestly. How of the top 25 teams that, you know, the rankings came out a couple of weeks ago for the AP, what kind of teams that you have your eye on that are not in the top 25? I'll start with you, Josh. All right, we'll start a little out of the box. I'm going to go with the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. This team really, really was very close to a Sweet 16 bid. Don't want to rub it in, obviously, because it's been a number of months since it happened, but a close loss to Houston, who wound up going to the Final Four and arguably one of the easier tracks. They're returning a lot of their best guys, including Ron Harper Jr., who we know fairly well by now. And this team, you know, the Big Ten is always stacked pretty top to bottom. And there's a lot of Big Ten teams in the top 25 this year, but they get left out of the top 25. And I'm very curious to see, you know, as one of those medium high level Big Ten teams, do they have what it takes to really shoot out the gates? Yeah. And you bring up a good point with the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. I think they're going to be back. Obviously, we remember that game that they choked last year in the NCAA tournament to Houston in the round of 32, but they're very well coached by Steve Peichel. They're tough as nails. I think they're really good in the rack. I'm very much looking forward to what they have to offer in the Big East Conference. Going to another team as we, you know, as I like to talk about the mid-majors on the show all the time. And with that, is a mid-major that is close to my heart. They're always very good. They had 26 wins last year. They return every single player, which is very rare in this sport, on the team led by Grayson Murphy and Nick Musinski. Is that is the Belmont Bruins. And the Belmont Bruins, they are a perennial powerhouse when it comes to mid-majors. They're moving to the Missouri Valley in a few next year, actually. And they have a tournament in the early part of the season that I think can put their name on the map. They start off with LSU. They play LSU, and that's not a tournament game, excuse me, but they play Drake to start their tournament. I think it's the ESPN events tournament going on during Thanksgiving. That will give them a chance to probably play some high major competition. I think Alabama and Kansas maybe might be in that field. But this Belmont team, I think, is going to compete for an at-large bid all season. They're going to get a lot of wins on this schedule. And if they can knock off LSU, do well in the tournament, they have a chance to do something special. And like I said, they return all five starters from last year, which is very rare in this sport. Yeah. And so, I think this team is a team that was, you know, right there on the cusp of yet another NCAA tournament, lose that brutal game to Moorhead state yeah. who, you know, and they get stopped from the NIT at 26 and four. Yeah. That was pretty ridiculous. I mean, yeah. this was one of the best teams all year last year, and they seem like they're right up there with one of the best winning percentages, regardless of being in the Ohio Valley basically every year they did get snuck in one time in the first four when uh, their good friends, Murray state won the conference. With John Grant. Grant. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with Belmont this year. Moorhead state will probably still be a great contender in that conference and they'll have a good number of games one-on-one. Yeah, for sure. And 
Moving on to our next segment, Josh, we talked about this all year last year, was the Blue Bloods not being good. This year, I think it's safe to say we're going to have a resurgence of sorts from almost all of them in my eyes. Of the Blue Bloods that, you know, the Dukes, the Kentuckys of the world, the North Carolinas, the UCLA's, Michigan State's, what team specifically do you think is going to compete for a Final Four, if not be a championship contender in April? So I just want to talk real quick before I dive into this about Mm -hmm. how it's really interesting, especially with our main two Blue Bloods of Duke and North Carolina. North Carolina no longer has Roy Williams as their head coach. He retired. Duke, Mike Krzyzewski on his last year. Now that makes things a little interesting because, oh, of course, you know, it's written somewhere in the scripture of college basketball that Coach K, the winningest coach of all time, makes a crazy run with his team, especially coming off of a year where his team was not very good at all. And the Blue Bloods themselves were not good, but Duke especially really struggling. And frankly, I think this is the year where we see, you know, they get to actually start turning around. They've got a great core. They've got a lot of really good young guys. And frankly, I mean, they got this guy, Benchero now, who is, he seems ridiculous. He looks like he could be one of the top five best players in the country. Another incredible freshman to come through there. And this Duke team is going to have their opportunity to have a few challenges in the out-of-conference schedule. They've got Kentucky, obviously, in the Champions Classic this upcoming Tuesday. But then in back-to-back games, over the span of four days, they play Gonzaga in Vegas, and then they play Ohio State in Columbus. And both of those games will be true challenges and will definitely show if this team has made that turnaround. They still got Wendell Moore from their team last year. I was never particularly high on him, but I think I still think that you know, just given the opportunity that Coach K has here in his last year after a ridiculous career as a seasoned veteran coach of this team, they're going to make waves for sure. Yeah, and it's just it's Coach K's last year. How can you not think he's going to do something special with this group? And I think they're easily a contender to win it all. And actually, a fun fact at home is A.J. Griffin, who's on their team, Archbishop Stepanak College in New York, they came to my high school when I was still in high school at Torrey Pines, and they played in this tournament. So I saw him play. He's very talented. I don't know if we'll get a ton of playing time because they have so many great athletes already on their team, as you mentioned, Banchero, and they return Wendell Moore, obviously. But they're of the Blue Bloods, I think they're my favorite to go the distance. But the team I'm going to talk about, I think, is the second favorite. And the reason why I picked them, because I'm going to keep returning to this in this sport is you return talent, you bring back chemistry, you're going to be successful. And that's the UCLA Bruins. I know I'm not buying into what they did in the tournament. Honestly, I'm looking at their roster right now and their roster is really, really good. They brought everybody back. They brought everybody back. Johnny Juzang is an absolute beast. He is a buckets getter. Tiger Campbell, I love his hair. Best hair in college <laughs> basketball at the point guard position. They take, they get Miles Johnson, who was from Rutgers, transfer. He comes here to UCLA. I think he's going to add a good low presence for the boards. And they all, Cody Riley returns as well, and Jalen Clark. I mean, their whole starting lineup returns for a blue blood. It's so rare that you have that in this sport especially for a top-tier program like UCLA. And I think Mick Cronin is an excellent coach in the Poly Pavilion in UCLA. I think this team's going to do be really special. And you talk about hard schedules for Duke. 
How about UCLA? They played Villanova in the first week of the season at Poly Pavilion. They go to Gonzaga, or not go to Gonzaga, they play in Vegas against Gonzaga. They also go to Marquette on the road. They play North Carolina. I think it's a neutral site game. And they also go to UNLV, which is never an easy place to play in UNLV. So I think they're going to have their hands full. I think it's going to be very good to see where they're at in these early season games, especially against Villanova and Gonzaga. I think this team's going to be top five all year in my mind. But Josh, I know you have another blue blood that we might not be fans of. Yeah, no, we're not fans of them at all. Real quick on UCLA before I do go to that blue blood. I have circled in my calendar December 11th, 1.30 p.m. for the UCLA Bruins to travel just an hour or so north of here to Marquette. No reason I shouldn't go to that game. Yes, I expect to see you there. I I would love to. Um, Let's talk about the Kansas Jayhawks. So as we can remember, this Kansas team in uh, the history of the Big 12 tournament seems like they win it every year. Um, they did not win it last year. Do you know who did win it last year? The Big 12 tournament, that would be the Texas Longhorns. And also, it's not Kansas' fault they didn't win it. It was actually COVID. Right. And I was going to say what's crazy about that is you can also remember they did not lose a game in the Big 12 tournament. They just didn't get to play on because of yeah. COVID. And I think that was because of David McCormick. Regardless, David McCormick will be back. Jalen Wilson will also be back, except for not the first three games, because I believe he got a DUI charge which hate to see it. And this team in general, like it seems like they've got everybody. Oh, and by the way, they go out and they add arguably a top three transfer, maybe top two with Marcus Carr, a little biased, but Remy Martin from Arizona state. We've seen him absolutely go crazy for a team that really hasn't had a lot of scores outside of him, but he's shown that kind of leadership. And now adding to a team that already has the great leadership of Bill Self. He's got all these pieces around him. Oche Agbaji looks to be probably a top 15 player in the country this year. They've got very, very similar to last year. Not any major losses except for Marcus Garrett, who they're replacing with Remy Martin. And it really seems like it's going to be Kansas, Texas, which we'll talk about, and Baylor at the top of the Big 12 this year. The drop-off is a little steep after that, but Kansas really has a ton of pieces. And if you ever have a team that is a blue blood, as you're talking about with UCLA or just any team that has great coaching, great experience, especially tough losses, and you bring those guys back for another year and continue to develop them. Yeah. They're going to be really, really scary. Yeah. And I think the three teams that we just mentioned easily could all see them in the final four in April. They all have that talent. As you talked about, they all have the coaching prowess and they, they return people, all of them, all three of those teams, I think will make waves throughout this season. Moving on to kind of a segment that I think is very interesting to talk about because we look back at these games come March and we look at resume wins and a lot of these teams, they need to get those wins. And so with that, which team non-conference schedule is going to tell you the most about them? Josh, I'm looking at Villanova. I know you already mentioned that they play UCLA in week one in Poly Pavilion. That's going to be a crazy game. They also have to go play Tennessee in the Mohegan Sun, bringing that back for some games this year. They then have to go play at Baylor in Waco. That's going to be a crazy game. I mean, all three of those games are going to be tough challenges. They don't have a lot else outside of that. They really just jump right into the Big East play. But this Villanova team 
You know, we saw them really fall apart down the stretch. They lost to Georgetown, who wound up winning the Big East tournament last year, mostly in part of the fact that they lost their star, Connor Gillespie, who will be returning because of the COVID policy this year. He's going to be spectacular if he can even return to some of his form. He's always been that star player. He really, really was the thorn in the side of Texas last year. And this team year in, year out is always a top contender. So when you've got a lot of those great non-conference games at the beginning of the season and you can win a couple of them, you don't have to win all of them. But like you said, just resume building games that show the committee that you're making an active effort to really boost your reputation and your ability to beat big teams. Because, I mean, the Big East is the Big East. Like, it's obviously got a lot of talented teams, but outside of, like, Creighton and UConn, and occasionally you get some out of the mix of the rest of the guys. St. John's might be okay this year with Julian Champagne. Like, I don't know. This this conference has like slowly been a little bit on the decline, and that's probably why Georgetown ran through it last year. But if Villanova doesn't have to worry about that, if they do well in their conference and they do well in the non-conference games, then they'll easily be in line for a top seed like they are every year. Yeah, and I think Villanova – I mean, give Jay Ray credit. He always schedules a tough non-conference. Slayton had proves to help them down the stretch in the year. A team that I'm looking at, I think this schedule is by far the toughest of any Power Five in college basketball, and that is the Alabama Crimson Tide out of the SEC. I'm looking through the schedule, and it is brutal. First of all, the first week of the season, they're playing two really good mid-majors. Law Tech, who's supposed to be one of the favorites in Conference USA with Kenny Lofton Jr., who should be a lottery pick in the NBA next year. And then they play South Dakota State, who returns, I think, eight of nine of their top scores from last year. And they should have, they easily could have been in the tournament, if not for the incredible Oral Roberts in the summit semifinals on the buzzer beater that they hit to beat them. And then on Thanksgiving Day, they go to the ESPN events tournament in Lake Buena Vista, Florida, to play a very good Iona team that's going to be much improved. Obviously, they have their coach, Rick Patino at the helm. And then, as I talked about earlier, they would probably play either a Belmont or a Drake team who's easily a tournament contender. And then, it would, if assuming Chalk stays to form, they get Kansas in a championship game, assuming both teams make it that far, which would be a top-five game for Alabama. And that's just that tournament. After that tournament, guess where they go? They go to the kennel to play Gonzaga. No one ever wins there. Yes. They are playing in the Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle. Okay. Climate Pledge. Okay. Basically, Gonzaga. The new Kraken Stadium. Yeah. That is pretty cool. I give credit to Alabama for not, for going to play at a cool hockey arena. But anyway, (laughs) they're still playing Gonzaga and it's going to be mostly Gonzaga fans because it's in Seattle. And then they play Houston. That game will be at home. Houston is a top 15 team. And then they play Memphis on the road and Memphis very, they return a lot of players. They got a lot of great recruits as well. That game is going to be in Memphis, Tennessee. I mean, this schedule is just loaded. And then, Josh, I know we're big on this team. They play Colorado State to, you know, towards the end of their non-conference schedule. And then, oh, yeah, just when you think their schedule is over, in late January for the Big 12 SEC oh Challenge, they play Baylor. I mean, this <laughs> schedule, I don't even know how to describe it. It's insane. Alabama because of this, I think it's going to be a very good team. They're going to be so battle-tested come SEC play, come March, that this team, to me, is easily going to be one of the best in the country. Yeah, and I mean, we love Nate Oates. And then yeah. on top of that, if you just talk about the SEC as a whole, 
Kentucky looks a lot better this year. Mm -hmm. Auburn's got a lot, a lot of young talent they're bringing back this year. Arkansas and Tennessee still look good. It's definitely a conference that was pretty weak last year that is probably primed for the most overall improvement across the conference. Don't forget about Scotty Pippen Jr. on the Vanderbilt Commodores. Like yeah. even their conference schedule is going to be a nightmare to deal with. So battle tested, that's how you get ready for March and we'll see what kind of a team that makes them. Yes, for sure. They are going to be ready to go. And we kind of talk about these non-conference games. I mean, we're almost here, Josh. We're four days away from the tip-off. It's so incredible to me that I can say that at this point in time. And speaking of that, we have a loaded slate in week one. So I want to ask you a couple games that you're possibly looking at come week one. And I know we're, we're going to get to Texas, and we're probably going to talk. have to talk about this Texas-Gonzaga game. But any other games that you're looking at in week one, especially on opening night? Are we allowed to talk about the Champions Classic? Of course. I mean, it's incredible. Those are the best games of the day. Okay. So I feel like we could do some Kentucky Duke work, but I would rather do some Michigan State Kansas work, okay. especially yeah. because, as I noted, there's no Jalen Wilson. He'll be serving his suspension. Michigan State is going to be a really interesting team to watch this year. They're returning a good number of their guys. They still got Joey Hauser, who's really been their man, but this is one of the weaker teams that they've had in some time. And I know that last year they were pretty slow out the gate. They barely made it into the NCAA tournament. They actually played UCLA in that first four game that wound up being on the path to the final four for UCLA. But I don't know. This is definitely the kind of game where, you know, I'm not necessarily expecting Michigan State to win. But if they can keep it close, it's going to look a lot better, especially because we know Kansas is going to be a great team. Michigan State's going to have its up and downs throughout the season. So if you can at least look back on the Champions class and say, hey, out the gate, they played a top team and they hung in there, that looks good on them. But on the other hand, if you start the season out with a big blowout from a blue blood, especially in the Champions Classic, that's never a good look. And this team in general has to go play Loyola in the Bahamas, that's going to be quite a game. They play Louisville. They jump into their Big Ten schedule, which is never easy. And frankly, this is the kind of test that they need. And I think that I, I'm excited to see what they make of it. It's also the first game of the season on ESPN. How could you not love that? Yeah. So it's, it's really going to be a big test. Obviously, we've talked a bit about Kansas as well. And there's a lot that I'm looking to see out of them. Hopefully a loss would be great, but I'm not really expecting that to happen here. Yeah, I think Kansas is a clear favorite in this game. I'm looking at Michigan State's roster, a lot of new faces on this team. I don't know. I mean, it's Michigan State, so they probably had a pretty good recruiting class, but no recruits that jump out at me personally. I think Gabe Brown is going to be the key piece for this Michigan State team. He's going to have to make a huge improvement from last year. He's going to get a lot more playing time. He's their, one, I think, lone senior on this team that gets actual playing time. They Do still have, have, yeah, and Hauser as well, but who's been on the team, you know, throughout his career. But they have Izzo's son on the team. I would like to see him play a little bit, hit some shots. Maybe Next buddy Beheim. Yeah, exactly. Off the bench. But I think the clear favorite is going to be Kansas. I think they easily could run away in this game, especially Michigan. As I talked about, Michigan State's kind of a younger team. You don't really know what to expect. So opening night is going to be tough. We saw it a few years ago. I think Kentucky played Duke, and Kentucky got their doors beaten up against Duke and I because they're all new players. So I think – that's going to be a similar case to Michigan State. I know that Kansas will be missing Jalen Wilson on opening night, but Kansas is a much better team. They're 
I think, more talented, and they'll be more ready for that game. And that game I'm looking at, I'm going to keep hitting on this all year. I'm so excited, as you know, but it's it's the it's the best game that no one's talking about, and we have to talk about it because it's two teams that probably, in my mind, are going to make the tournament, at least one of them, and that's Colorado State and Oral Roberts. This is a prime time mid major showdown, which which I think is going to have huge implications on where you know if these teams are going to make it come March. Colorado State returns basically everybody from last year's team. I know your favorite player is, I think, David Roddy. He oh, is yeah. a yeah, absolute stud of a player. Adam Thistlewood can shoot from Japan if he had to. He's one of the best shooters in the country. And, I mean, I'm, I'm all in. I think they're the favorites in the Mountain West, even over my San Diego State Aztecs. They return Kendall Moore, who's also really good. Jalen Scott, he's a freshman. I think he's going to do wonders for this team. And John Tanji, really good defender from Nebraska, Omaha, where I have family from, so shout out to him. But this Colorado State team, they have a good schedule, too. So I think they you win this game, you play St. Mary's, you also play Mississippi State, neutral site, and then you go to Alabama. You get opportunities for them to build a resume as they go into Mountain West play, where the Mountain West this year is looking at a possible three- to four-bid lead with San Diego State, Colorado State. I know it's a little lofty. Nevada is going to be really good. They return basically their whole team as well. Boise State's also going to be – Yes, I know. I know a little it's a little biased conference. A little biased, but I think they respectable could easily get three teams to the tournament. Nevada, Colorado three. State, and San Diego State, I think, are easily tournament contenders to say the least. And then looking on the other side, how can you not talk about the darlings of the NCAA tournament last year? <laughs> Oral Roberts, 15 seed, second ever to make the Sweet 16, should have made the Elite Eight if that ace miss shot went in. So close, could have hit it. Anyway, I'm still returned. hurting from that. I really, really wanted to go in. I know so badly. They were so such a special group. But Aceus is one of the most fascinating, most fun players to watch in all of college basketball. You know he's going to shoot it from anywhere on the court. And obviously they're going to miss Kevin O'Banner at the at you know the second go-to guy scoring, and he's also a good rebounder as well. But this team is still returns a lot of players from last year. I'm trying to pull up their roster here. I know they have a couple good group. Good recruits that they also got. But the Oral Roberts, their name is going to be on their backs all year because of what they did last year. So I think this is a big-time test for them. How can they live up to dealing with a little bit of expectations? I think Colorado State's going to win this game. I think they could win it by double digits. But it's more of a not an indictment on Oral Roberts, just a credit to Colorado State and how good they are. I'm looking for Oral Roberts is really about Carlos Jurgens taking a big role. He played really well in the tournament last year. I think he's going to be their second piece as well. But Josh, I know if you want to talk just a little bit about this game, it, Colorado State's your mid-major team. so They are as much as you might dislike that, <laughs> but also you do like that because your brother goes there. So yeah, yeah. we'll take it. Yeah, I think this Colorado State team is great. I really like a lot of the guys that you mentioned that they're returning. Obviously, David Roddy is an absolute stud. He's a ridiculous athlete and went absolutely off in a number of games last year. And frankly, you know, when you're a team, as I've mentioned so many times, like when you're a team that has good talent, they were right on the cusp of making the NCAA tournament last year, probably one game out of the Mountain West Conference tournament away. Like you return a lot of those guys. They play well. You have a good opening season schedule. They play Alabama, as we mentioned. They've got a couple of challenges. Obviously, this Oral Roberts team can really score. Let's see if Colorado State can play defense. This is going to be a really fun team to watch all year. I'm very excited again 
Um, I'm probably going to find other mid-majors, of course, to hop on the bandwagon for, but I will be rooting for the Rams. In terms of Oral Roberts, though, missing Kevin O'Banner is a huge loss, kind of a traitor in moving out of, out of the state of Oklahoma to Texas and of all places to Tech without Chris Beard. Can't believe he did it. Was really upset when he did. But, I mean, what can you do? You have an incredible run moving up from, you know, a tiny mid-major school that, yeah, you won 15 as a 15 seed to a top Big 12 program. Good for you, man. Like, that's yeah. impressive. But Max Aismas, he's loyal. He's sticking to the team. He's going to he go. He could have draft. Could have gone. He's like, you know what? Now I'm the top five player in the country, or at least that's what people finally think of me. And we know how much he can score, and we saw how much he could score. He just finally did it in the spotlight. And it's like, okay, well, Oral Roberts, you got a couple challenges, not just Colorado State out the gate. You also have to go play Oklahoma State and TCU within the next four or five weeks. Those are another couple of good challenging games. I think just based on realistic expectations between Colorado State, Oklahoma State, and TCU, if they can win one of those three games, the hype train is on. I love that. Yeah. And the crazy <laughs> thing is last year, they didn't win any of those games in their non-conference schedule. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Doesn't matter. It's March. They're Anything about March. Yeah, exactly. And with that, we got to talk about our team. And that's the Texas Longhorns. This team is really, really good. They absolutely tore apart the transfer portal. They're like, this portal's for the country? No, it's for us. They got every <laughs> single guy that you could ask for. Marcus Carr, Christian Bishop, Dylan DeSue, Devin Askew, Timmy Allen. The list can go on and on. They got all of them, all the pieces. Because before this transfer portal, this team was, I think, three or four players at most. They didn't have a roster. And they, get, they go out and steal Chris Beard. Chris Beard comes up with a master plan that should never go unnoticed in this sport. You call Abilene Christian, you tell them how to beat this Texas team, and then they fire Shaka Smart, and then you get hired by that team the next season. Absolutely brilliant. Destroys the transfer portal. And now Texas has a roster that, in my mind, come March, is a top five roster in the country. I think right now they're a top 15, top 20 roster, but just that's just because they've never played together. They I mean, we can talk about all these players, Josh, but how excited are you for this team? And I know they have kind of a light non-conference schedule other than, you know, Gonzaga mainly, but what do you, what are you expecting from the Longhorns, especially in the early months? I mean, I would just like to note, like they would have really only had Brock, Andrew Jones and Courtney Ramey and then and Jake Fabris. Yeah. And Jace. Yeah. I mean, it would have been a nightmare and <laughs> to what Chris Beard did, and to what this roster looks like now, I am ready for my heart to be broken again. I can't believe it. It's only been maybe seven and a half months since one of the worst sports games of my life against Abilene Christian, just an absolute abomination. And I, I'm ready. I'm ready. You know what? Chris Beard did the unthinkable and bought the entire transfer portal just with his wisdom and the fact that it seems every single person in the state of Texas thinks he's a God, which I mean, there's no reason not to think that yet. So yeah, sure. Yeah. Like I, I am ready. And you mentioned the non-conference schedule. I think for this team that has, as you mentioned, a lot of players that have a lot of talent, but they haven't played together and we really need them to start playing together. Great. 
schedule a game against every single bottom tier D1 team in the state of Texas, go whip them, beat them by 40, 50 points, figure out what works. And then come January, when you have big 12 challenges, you'll be great. Like it will be fun to watch us play Gonzaga. I'm not expecting anything. It's the second game of the year. Gonzaga has a ridiculous roster where they're bringing back some of their best players and bringing in Shet Holmgren, the top overall recruit. I don't have a lot of expectations. It'll be fun. I am more so looking forward to that game when they come to Austin next year because we'll be ready. But I mean, this team has the potential to really, really do a lot, which is saying something considering this team is arguably on on paper a lot better than our team last year. And we were really high on them last year. Yeah. And I think the game in the non-conference schedule that's going to tell us a lot about this team, even though it's still early in, in that the game's December 9th, I believe. And that is in Newark, New Jersey against Seton Hall. Seton Hall is one of those teams that, you know, they're tournament contenders every, you know, nine, 10 seed range. They're easily could beat anyone on any given night, but they're not a great team. They're mid tier in the big East, but going on the road to that environment, playing a decent team, probably a tournament team. It's going to tell us a lot about where this Texas team is even as early as December, because there's not a lot of juice as you've talked about on this schedule. But I think Chris Beard took this schedule and he's, as you talked about, just he made it so our players can gel what works, what doesn't work because our big 12 slate, as we talk about every year, the big 12 is awesome. It's not going to be easy. Baylor and Kansas are going to be amazing. Again, West Virginia is always a solid team. You never know what you're going to get from Oklahoma state. Oklahoma is probably going to be good. Texas Tech, I think, did very well in the transfer portal as well, so I expect them to be good as well. But, you know, we'll see. Texas has a lot to prove, and as you talked about the Gonzaga game, yeah, I don't have that many expectations going to that. I just want to see them play well. If they somehow won, I mean, the hype train would just be going 1,000 miles an hour, but (laughs) I don't expect them to win. That game is in the kennel, so that's going to be even harder for Texas, but it's the first week. I'm excited. They play a lot of bad, bad mid-majors. I was looking at the RPI, not the RPI, but the, what's it called? The, the uh, what do the they Nets. call it now? Yeah, the net. All these teams are in the 250-plus range a lot. Some of them are like Q4 wins coming up. Yeah, Q4. They're all Q4. Uh, and, yeah, there's a few in the 300s. So, obviously, hopefully beat them by 50, 60 points. I'm hoping I'm going the Northern Car or the Houston Baptist game on opening night on Tuesday, hoping they can be up 60 at halftime so I can go home and watch the Duke-Kentucky game. But we will see, obviously. But this Texas team is going to be very good. I'm very, very excited for it. But as you said, Josh, I'm ready to get my heart broken. You know it's going to happen. It's going to find a way in the NCAA tournament. I don't know what round. Always do. Always do. Round of 32, Sweet 16, it's going to happen. Because this team has the capability and the talent to get to a final four in my mind as of right now, before the season starts in November, obviously a lot can change in this sport in the next couple of months, but getting to my favorite part of the show, talking about more mid major basketball as we love, as I love on this show, the mid major top five from each of us, Josh, I'll start with you. You don't have to give, if you don't have your top five, already down you got top five. one we can go back for okay yeah give me your top five then well i, I want to talk about one team with you because it's our consensus number one 
Okay. And that yeah. is the number 23 ranked St. Bonaventure Bonnies, who I arguably love more than any other team besides Texas. I mean, we were so high on this team last year. We were looking to see what kind of a run they could pull. Unfortunately, they lost to UConn in the first round, but they absolutely blew through the A-10. And then they decided to do something really interesting, which is of their five-star core players, they brought how many of them back? Five. Yeah, exactly. And they've got some ridiculous talent on this lineup. Oshuno Shini is like a scary big man that nobody wants to go up against. And they've got a lot of good guards too. Like this team just has a ton of talent. And the A-10 seems like they are really always up there. The A-10 and the Mountain West are probably two of the top mid-major conferences every year. And we'll talk about a few teams from there. But I think we can both agree the bodies are going to be really fun to watch this year and definitely the top mid-major. Yeah. And you mentioned good guard play. I think Kyle Lofton's one of the most underappreciated guards in the country. They so bring good. back Dominic Welch. You talk about Osana Zuni. He's the scariest big man I, I think in the country, he's he is, huge. He's huge. And he's a shot blocker. He can score underneath. He has great post moves. I mean, he can do it all. And they're so well coached. I think they're a defensive minded team. The key with them is can they hit enough shots? They struggled in some games down the stretch last year because they couldn't shoot the ball. LSU, they had a lot of size. It was hard for them to shoot over their players in that NCAA tournament game. But as you mentioned, you were a nine seed last year. Or they, they might have been an eight seed, actually, in that game. And they return all five of their starters who produced – by the way, all five of their starters last year averaged double figures in scoring, 10 or more. They don't really have a bench. So they I need think one. They need one, yeah, but they don't need one. Anyway, they're, they're easily number one. Josh, your next four. I'll go with my number two, which is another team out of the A-10, the Richmond Spiders. Wow, number two. Okay. Number two. I think this team has a lot of talent. I'm obviously very high on the A-10, as I mentioned. And frankly, like, you know, this is a team that we were expecting a lot of last year. They kind of fell apart. They had a lot of COVID issues, but they're returning a lot of their main guys. It just seems like this is the kind of year where they make a good run. You know, they, they slide in there and they got Blake Francis back. He's a tank, like, it seems like there, there's a lot of good prospects here and um, they're bringing Nathan Ko back as well. Yeah. Yeah. He's really fucking good. Yeah. He is very good. And yeah, they bring, they're the oldest team in the country. They have a, I think two six year starters now on their yep. team. Grant golden, I believe is also back for this team. So I think they're going to be really good. And that's and that experience and that talent that in college really, really makes a difference. Yeah, and, and remember, they made some noise last year in Lexington. Yeah, and uh, did either of those teams make the NCAA tournament? No. No. <laughs> Pretty crazy, I know. Insane. Number three. Who's your number three? Okay, well, I have to give my first two then. I mean, I haven't done Bonnie's not your number one? Okay, and Bonnie's are my number one, but my number two is not the Richmond Spiders. Okay, so who's your number two? Okay, my number two is going to be the BYU Cougars. Great pick. Alex Barcelo is back. He's one of the most underappreciated guards in the country. They bring a transfer in Tejon Lucas from Milwaukee who can score. They also have Gideon George back, and they have Caleb Lohner. Those four players alone, think, bring BYU as the second team in the West Coast Conference behind Gonzaga. I think they could be easily a top 25 team in the first couple of weeks. I really like this team. They were really good last year, and... You know, with COVID and everything, it kind of shut them down a little bit. But 
This team is really good. They can score the ball. They And they always give Gonzaga problems in the WCC. I think they're easily my number two. Yeah, I had them at number three. Okay. So, so I, was, I was waiting to say that. Okay, so my number three then, I don't have Richmond still. I, I don't know if I even have them in my top five, even though they do have a lot of experience. My number three is going to be Colorado State. And I've talked about them, so I don't need to get into it. And they're my number four. Okay. So then my number four is going to be the Belmont Bruins. And I've talked about them as well. So. All right. Then I'll go to my number five, which is arguably the third best team in the West Coast Conference, the San Francisco Dons. Wow. Interesting take. Over St. Mary's. Yeah. Over St. Mary's. I wanted to make a little bit of a splash. Throw the Spiders and the Dons in there. Yeah. Create some good content on the pod. Look, this Don's team, I mean, we all know about their defense. They beat Virginia last year. Yeah, they did. Yes, they did. This is the team that can really shake things up. San Francisco hasn't made the tournament in many years, but this could be a year where they're primed to do it. They got a lot of returning starters. I think this conference is always deep, but they always give Gonzaga a hard time. I know BYU is a perennial contender, and so is St. Mary's. But man, like they can, they can definitely create some scares and we'll see them get to play teams like Davidson, Nevada, UNLV, Grand Canyon, Arizona state in the beginning of the season. That will be very exciting. I think that those will be good tests and I I have high hopes for this team. I like that pick my number five team also from the mountain West conference is going to be the Nevada Wolfpack. I have, I really Overstate, I really think State's the third best team. But I, as I said, I really think all three teams make the NCAA tournament. Because Nevada, they did, they made a splash last year, won some big games, knocked Boise State out of the NCAA tournament with some big wins against them down the stretch. Grant Sherfield, they, they return all their guards, and they can shoot the ball. They score a lot of points. Warren Washington is back. Also, by the way, you know who's going to be starting for them this year? Close to our hearts. Oh, our man. Will Baker is going to start for the University of Nevada. So how can you how can you put Nevada in your top five when Will Baker is in their starting five? I think that he has a good coach enough uh, oh, at Nevada that he can make. He was a top thirty recruit for a reason. And Chaka Smart's like the speaker of big men, like and he I know, do anything with him. He's a, yeah of NBA talent big men. Will Baker's on NBA talent, so. I think he'll be decent for Nevada and you know, he's had, he didn't play last year. So he's had a year to work on his game. And I think he'll be a really good impact for this team. We'll see. I'm not, I'm not high on Will Baker. <laughs> we'll see. I just, I can't view do Richmond because last year they had all this, you know, returning talent and they still struggled, especially down the stretch. And they, well, didn't, they lost their first game in the a 10 tournament. They had a lot of COVID. I know everyone had a lot of COVID, but they had a lot of COVID. They like almost didn't play enough games to qualify for the NCAA tournament. I know they barely got over the 13 game maximum, but (laughs) which is crazy. We have to talk about before we end the show here, as our good friend, John Rothstein likes to talk about is brutality watch. And for people that don't know at home, what brutality watch is, is usually, usually not all the time, but a power five team spends a lot of money about usually around a million dollars to bring in a low tier mid major to come to their arena and get absolutely demolished. And more than not the time that happens, but every now and then some of these mid majors here are like, we like money and we also like winning. And Ooh. so, yeah, it's a very it's good a mix. 
yeah, it's a good mix. And sometimes they pull it off, not all the time. And then some brutality watches actually some lower tier or mid tier mid majors bring in even lower tier mid majors and they lose a lot of the time actually. So with that, Josh, any games in the first week, especially the first night that you could see a possible brutality watch this first week of the season. You give me yours first. Okay. I'm going to give you mine first as I'm scrolling. There are 184 games. It's hard to find because I know (laughs) I have an idea of which game I was going to do, but now I am having a hard time finding it, but I think it is the, it is Moorhead state. They play Auburn. They play Auburn. Yes. Auburn has a lot of off the court issues. They were banned by the NCAA. They didn't look that great last year. They don't play a lot of defense. Moorhead state returns a lot of their guys from last year's NCAA tournament team. They have really good guard play. They have some good big men down low and they, well, a lot of people are not talking about is last year they were in that West Virginia game for most of it. And they kind of fell apart at the end because of West Virginia's McBride going off in that second half. But Moorhead State's a very good basketball team. I still think they're a one or two team in the Ohio Valley Conference. I think they could make some noise and possibly beat Auburn. I'm not saying they're going to, but I'm putting Auburn definitely on brutality watch in week one. All right. I, I was looking for my game as well that also recently caught my eye other than the Auburn game. This is more of a stretch, but you know what? Why not us? Am I right? Yeah. Portland, Arizona State. <laughs> wow. Neither of these teams were good last year. Portland went 6-15. and 15. Arizona State was also below 500. And now, you know who they don't have? Remy Martin. He went to Kansas. So, it'll be, like it'll be interesting to see how this team plays. Portland's one of the worst teams in college basketball. But, hey, you know what? Go out there and... Make it rain. Take every single <laughs> shot you can. Their uh, highest returning starter in terms of points, 4.9. Wow. Clythus Griffith Jr. <laughs> Let's see him put up 49. <laughs> I love that. I love that take. Honestly, I'm, I'm just so excited for this sport to come back. We'll have another show, obviously, next week, and we'll have Mason back on. We always love Mason's input. Always some fire takes from him, but... This week, you know, a lot of, you know, we're not going to have a lot of great games, honestly, but on next, I think next weekend, we're going to have some games and that hopefully we can get a show maybe towards the end of next week to previews. Yeah. For Texas game. There are some really good Friday matchups as well as a Saturday slate. We'll have college football and college basketball on the same day, which is pretty cool. We're, as we've talked about, we're just so excited. The season's back. Thank you so much. For joining us, Josh, any final thoughts as we're four days away from the start of the college basketball season? I want to highlight one team that I think is that we have not mentioned once on the show that I think everybody should keep an eye out for. And that is the Purdue Boilermakers, arguably the biggest team in the country. They have arguably the biggest player in the country and Zach Eady, who is coming back and refining his skills. One of the most nimble seven foot four men I've ever seen in my life. Not that I've seen that many seven foot four men, but he's definitely up there. Trivion Williams, who took probably 35% of their shots last year. He's coming back. He is also a ridiculously good big man and can body anybody inside between the two of them and the starting five. It's going to be really difficult, especially when they're playing some of these really bad teams that don't have gigantic guys. They are going to put up a lot of points and they can also block a lot of shots. So I'm excited to see what Matt Painter and his squad can do this year. Yeah. And that is a very good take. 
just for the viewers at home. So you have your calendars, your schedules ready to go. First game is at three Eastern, two central time on Tuesday afternoon. And